Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Thomas Big Spider. So to kick this one off, we're going to go back to last week's episode for a moment, which was about tarantula hybridization. A lot of folks in the hobby, they're just getting into the hobby, have a lot of questions about it. They don't realize why many of us loathe the idea of it, can't stand it. But we went through that all last time. But I did get an interesting comment on my Facebook page that I wanted to discuss. It was by Aurora Kakazaki. I hope I pronounced your name right, Aurora. Um, one quick question that I don't think you address. Listen three times, so I'm pretty sure on this one. What if a bunch of arachnologists studied which species crossbreed in the wild and which work together with minimal risk to the spider, and as a group, they agree to create a hybrid just to come up with a new name for it and to agree to keep it private for years until they are raised up since no one wants to raise like 500 slings. Each person takes a handful, and we just study them as they grow, not selling them. That's why I say scientists, not dealers. I know that's still playing God, and a lot of people don't agree with that. That, but we do it with reptiles. I don't mean ball python morphs. I'm talking about boacondas, retics times berms with berms, etc. So if we take out the argument of muddying the gene pool since they wouldn't be sold, well, could you address this for me? Thanks. And I can address it. And I think it's an easy one for me. I just don't see any reason whatsoever for us to experiment that way. And and that's and this isn't being mean. It's just it's my opinion. I'm sure other people may have different opinions about it. But my thought process is this. If this were a group of arachnologists, I would be wondering why are you spending time trying to crossbreed and grow up a bunch of mutt tarantulas when there are so many species out there that are yet to be discovered or so many species out there that have yet to be described. Just go through the hobby and look how many at how many different species, and I use that term SP period when it's referring to different species of tarantulas, ones that we haven't had described. So like uh, Panthobedius species, Duran, Homeoma species, Blue, things of that nature. Spiders that we have in the hobby that we have found in some location, they look different from other things that we've seen, but we don't know exactly what they are because they've never been described. My thought would be, why are you wasting time playing Dr. Frankenstein and mixing these things together or doing Jurassic Park, whatever you want to call it, and mixing these animals together just to see if they breed and what happens when they grow up. It just, it wouldn't be my cup of tea. So that would be my answer to that. I don't see any really positive outcome or any useful outcome of trying to hybridize tarantulas. And then again, I do, I guess if it was a lab and they were doing this, I mean, you're talking about depending on the species, it taking years for them to reach maturity. So that would be them, again, raising up hundreds of spiders themselves. Now I see that going one of two ways. One, they actually literally raise up hundreds of these spiders to adulthood over the course of years, which takes a lot of work for what I would see as zero benefit or zero payoff. Yep, we bred them. They grew up, and now what do we do with them? And I would worry about them naming it because, again, that would be the playing God part. Look, we mixed two things together, and now we're calling it its own species. No, it's not. It's it's a mix of two different ones. And I do see the angle you're coming at as far as if they just picked species that are already close in the wild that they could naturally probably meet up in the wild and produce some type of hybrid. I, I would think of several species of Pisolotheria that they could possibly cross over boundaries. We talked about the Brachypelma Baumgartney versus Brachypelma Bamey or Boimey. And the fact that we do have hybrids of those in the hobby, the point is, or the lack of point, I think, would be that we know they mix. We, we've seen them in the hobby. There's nothing really to be gleaned. I guess I think what you're talking about perhaps would be like if they grabbed uh, a GBB and we'll go with it. We'll go with the GBB with the 
Theraphosa Blondie one that we've heard, or Theraphosa Sturmy. We get a lot of, like, wouldn't it be cool to have a 12-inch spider that had those colors? I guess I could see where that would be enticing. Like, could we mix these together? Could we come up with a new spider? But then again, it would be some mutt spider that would have zero worth in the hobby, that would have zero worth as far as, you know, repopulating the wild populations of these guys I, I just don't see any use in it so awesome question or a flat out awesome question and, and I think other I think this is what happens is people think of the possibilities they could have and they think about what we could be missing as far as these amazing beautiful spiders that we could possibly produce if we mix them and then just my only you know counter argument to that is there are already beautiful many hundreds of millions of beautiful color combinations and patterns out there already and there are so many spiders out there every day one of our topics today will be one that was just discovered every day there are new spiders being discovered I would rather people spend their time and energy especially arachnologists looking at things like that or some of the diseases that we have that infect our animals, which will be something we'll be talking about again later on today, than spending time playing Dr. Frankenstein trying to mix up a bunch of them together. I just don't see a purpose for it. Now, I've I had very spirited discussions with other people that don't agree with that. I will say a lot of them are folks that haven't been in the hobby for a while, and a lot of them are folks I just haven't been able to reach. They just don't get it. They see it as they're animals. If they mix, let's do it. Let's see what we get, and that's unfortunate because I've had people before, again, say they were going to do this and try it, and who knows what ended up coming of those. So personally, I don't see the point to it, but again, great question, Aurora. Thank you so much. Now, moving off to our topic today, I tried to do one of these a while back. Uh, tarantulas in the news. As I've alluded to before, my news feeds tend to pick up anything tarantula related. And a while back, I actually, actually wasn't all that, maybe three or four months ago, I had this whole tarantula in the news idea where I was going to go through some current articles about tarantulas that were popping up in mainstream media. And I thought that'd be a cool thing to do because I know a lot of people don't get these articles and I know I miss some people will send them to me and I'm like, oh, I missed that. Anyhow, I put together all of these notes. I was I found them this morning. I was so upset. All like two pages of notes on these two articles that I was going to go over. And last minute, I happened to pull up one of the articles to check something. And I was going to have it up anyway as I, I did the podcast. And I looked at the date and it was like a three-year-old article. I don't know. It must have just popped into my feed. I must have clicked on something tarantula related. And they went, oh, if you like that, you'll like this. And it was an old article about brown boxing and, and smuggling. And so I'm like, all right, I'm not going to cover a three-year-old article. I it's already been out there. I'll just stick with the other article that I was doing. I forget what it was about, but I said, you know what? I should probably check the dates on this one. And it was a four-year-old article as well. So it kind of shot my whole pot. It was one of those things where literally I'm sitting here. I got the microphone in front of me. I'm ready to roll. I'm glad I found it before I started talking about them and realized I'm talking about ancient articles, but it kind of shot me in the butt. Anyway, there's been a few different articles that have popped up. People have been sending me links to them and I, I actually did have all of these show up on my feed which was great so what I want to do is kind of go through them in terms of you know there's a couple one of them's kind of a fun fluff piece but definitely worth talking about and the two of them are a little more important where they kind of have that well they have strong bearing on the tarantula hobby and tarantulas in general so to kick it off the first one I had a few people report this one to me and I did actually see this this popped up on my news feed but they found a huge pink. Oh, well, the, the topic of this one, and this, I, when I went to relook up this article, it's been covered by a lot of different news sources. But this one was titled Huge Pink Toed Tarantula Found by Stunned Passengers on Board London Train. So, so, spoiler alert, I think the title of this one probably says about all we need to know. But essentially, a 
Tupperware container with an arachnid in it, obviously a pink toe tarantula was good that somebody actually went and tried to identify it, was discovered on a London Bridge station. And essentially what happened was some people were there, they looked over in the seat, there was a little plastic tub, probably like a sterilite container or something of that nature. Somebody looked inside of it and lo and behold, there was a large tarantula. Now, I when this one popped up on my feed, I was almost a little afraid to read it because I would be wouldn't be shocked if somebody killed the spider. I wasn't sure at first. The first article I read didn't say that it was in the container originally, so I thought maybe this poor thing was just sitting, the way they described it was just sitting on a seat. So I was amazed somebody didn't squish it out of fear because unfortunately that's what people do when they see big scary spiders. But luckily, apparently what they did was they saw it, they contacted the RSPCA who took the animal to specialists at the South Essex Wildlife Hospital who were able to identify it. So the animal was safe. They, they took care of it, which I thought was, it kind of made it a feel-good story for me because I always worry when you hear something about spiders being found. And it's funny because my wife and I watch the show Ridiculous. It's like my guilty pleasure. We always put it on before bedtime and giggle at it. But anytime there's spiders or bugs in it, they're getting squashed. It drives me absolutely nuts because that's people's natural reaction to it. It's hard to watch because I love these animals, but I know that when they get somebody gets a huge huntsman in their home or they, they're sitting on a bus, or a car and something drops in their face, they freak out their reactions to kill it. So to hear this had a happy ending was really nice, made it worth reading. So there were a couple funny little <laughs> quips in it. And, the, and every time you read something about tarantulas in the news, uh, those of us that have spent a lot of time with them, uh, you know, studied them, know about them, there's always something bizarre in the articles that make them either sound worse than they are or just some fact that's misrepresented or said the wrong way. But this one said, although the creature is not venomous, it has large fangs, which can inflict a painful sting compared to that of, of a wasp. They are venomous. Obviously, I've, I've had this discussion before with folks about them because they I, even recently somebody contacted me and said, I'm looking to get into keeping New World tarantulas. I don't want Old World tarantulas because I know that New World tarantulas don't have venom. And I had to come back with, well, they, they do have venom. It's just not it's not particularly painful or debilitating toward humans. And the individual was like freaking out because they had apparently been doing their research, had missed this fact and became freaked out because they're like, oh, these things can actually bite and envenom me. So we kind of went through a little discussion about how the fact that, you know, they it doesn't hurt humans as much. The, the bigger issue would be the mechanical damage. And I think that's kind of what they were going for here in this, where they say that large fangs can inflict a painful sting. Well, it'd be a painful bite. The, the fangs would be penetrating you, puncturing your skin. So the individual at the end was feeling better about it. But I think that's one of the things that people often are surprised at when I talk about I keep tarantulas and I'll talk a little bit about new worlds and how they have the hairs and they'll go oh so the new world ones can't sting they don't have venom right and I'm like oh no they can it's just not that bad so I thought that was pretty interesting you know in the article that somebody obviously did a little research but not enough now reading further another fun quote in it is although the arachnids are apparently popular pets among tarantula fans they need highly specialized care and uh, that one just Makes me giggle because obviously with all the Tom's Big Spider stuff, I try to break down the fact they're really, as far as animals are concerned, they're really, the majority of them are not that difficult to care for. Although if you talk about, you know, Avicularia, Avicularia, it sounds like it was an Avicularia, Avicularia. Those are ones that still seem to give people fits because they're a little more finicky. People have a little, uh, you know, just an email this morning for somebody that's got an Avicularia, Avicularia that doesn't look like it's doing well. It's a sling. So I guess that isn't all that bad. And then the other quote, uh, the other line, in here that kind of gave me a giggle was they often become aggressive, grow large, and live for a long time. 
They also may require license or paperwork to be legally kept or sold. Now, I don't know. In the UK, you guys can speak. My buddies over there in the UK can probably speak more to this. I didn't know that there was any bands or any place in the UK that required these licenses for them. Maybe this was just somebody just did a search online and found that there were some places that needed them. But, uh, you know, I haven't heard of any of that, but the they often become aggressive. There we go again with the whole aggressive thing. Those aggressive pink toes. Now, although I've stated before that although a lot of folks have very tractable, calm pink toe tarantulas, vicularia, vicularia, that uh, there are also folks out there that have very high strung ones that will shoot poo at you, that will jump, that will rub hairs on you, that, you know, I even had somebody recently that sent me a picture of theirs with a threat pose. But would I call them aggressive? No, I never call tarantulas aggressive. But again, there's that use of that word. And it's it, it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get folks to recognize that when a tarantula is throwing up a threat posture, when a tarantula tries to bite or bolt, it's because it's, for lack of a better term, scared. We won't get into the emotional intelligence of them, but it's them recognizing there's a threat and it's trying to defend itself. That's different from a tarantula going like the way they describe OBTs, like they watch you when you sleep and they want to get out and bite your face. I've heard people, every time I put up an OBT video, or usually once a week, somebody chimes in on one of my OBT videos, comments something along the lines of how evil they are, and it drives me nuts because they are not evil animals. They are animals that will defend themselves if they feel threatened. So kind of a cool article. I love the fact that the people, I really love the fact that the folks who found this thing didn't do anything stupid with it and turned it in. I think that's really cool because there's too many of these stories you hear where people find something and it's killed or it's already dead or somebody steps on it or somebody frees it, whatever it may be, they don't always have outcomes this nice. So that was a really cool one right there and kind of it was a nice way to kick off my morning when I was reading the news. Now, the next one a lot of folks also chimed in or sent me links for, and I did have this one pop up and immediately read it. I thought it was really cool. Wildlife YouTuber discovers new species of tarantula. Jocho Sipawat, known for his videos about Thailand's wildlife, discovered the first known tarantula to live exclusively inside bamboo stalks. So that had a lot of us excited, and then some of us joking that there are probably already people in there now in that country trying to smuggle these guys out to get them into the pet trade. I really, truly hope we don't see them in the pet trade for quite some time. And I mean that because these are the these are the situations that every time one of us in the hobby reads an article like this, our first, well, our first thoughts, usually this is awesome. Our second thought is usually, oh no, somebody's going to smuggle these into the pet trade. And then we're going to look like jerks again when suddenly there's articles out there talking about how this new tarantula that was just discovered is suddenly being sold for $500 for baby slings in the United States or wherever. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. It, it was one of the deals like with uh, Birupi's Simaroxagorum where they talked about discovering it. And before you knew it, it was like, it was literally on sale within a month of the article talking about them discovering it. it was It was crazy. But Anyway, awesome story, and this is back to our, you know, the beginning of the podcast where we were talking about if there are arachnologists out there that really want to help the hobby instead of making hybrids, they should be doing stuff like this. The fact that we just found another spider is amazing because the fact of the matter is humans are all over the earth. We're taking over everything. There's a lot of habitat loss because of the fact that, you know, obviously when humans, we breed, we reproduce, we extend our towns and cities and farms into that pristine wildlife that has all these animals in it. And sadly, that's usually when we start discovering some of them. So it blows, always blows my mind. I think we are so have such a huge footprint on this planet. And yet there are still so many things we don't know. It's amazing. So, so this article here, I will read a little bit of it because it is uh, actually fairly well written, written by Morgan Sung, a wildlife YouTuber from Thailand, discovered the first tarantula known to exclusively 
exclusively live in hollowed out bamboo stalks. Jocho Sipawat, a YouTuber with 2.5 million subscribers and 1.9 million Facebook followers, found the previously unknown tarantula while on a wilderness trip near his home in northwestern Thailand, according to a January 12th news release. Upon returning, Sipawat emailed a photo of the tarantula to arachnologist Naren Chop Hop Huang. Chop Hop Huang. I think that's it. I apologize if I mispronounce the name. Who researches spiders at Khan Can University. Chapup Wong then embarked on a field trip with Sipawat and fellow arachnologist Kalawalit Song Sang Cho to confirm that the tarantula was previously undiscovered. I got to pause here just to apologize to anybody that has a Thai name that knows how to pronounce these. I apologize for probably butchering them. Researchers determined that the spider belongs to a new genus and species. They named it Taxanus Bambus in honor of the 18th century Thai king Taxin the Great. These animals are truly remarkable. They are the first known tarantulas with a bamboo-based ecology, Chump Hop Huang said in a blog post by Pensoff, which publishes scientific journals. He goes on to say tarantulas in Southeast Asia are either terrestrial, which means they build nests by burrowing into the ground, or arboreal, which means they live in trees. Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Sumatra, and Borneo are homes to arboreal tarantulas, but the Toxenus is the first of its kind to be discovered in Thailand. The species is unique because it is associated with bamboo, and we have never observed this tarantula species in any other plant, Chup Hump Wong said in a press release. Bamboo is important to this tarantula, not only in terms of lifestyle, but also because it can only be found in high hill forests in the northern part of Thailand at an elevation of about 1,000 meters. It is not an exaggeration to say that they are now Thailand's rarest tarantulas. And that one freaks me out because... You know that there are folks there now trying to find these guys to bring them into the pet trade. The recent discovery underscores the importance of conserving Thailand's remaining forests, Chump Hop Wong said. Few people realize how much of Thailand's wildlife remains undocumented, Chump Hop Wong said. Thai forests now cover only 31.64% of the country's total land area. We are primarily on a mission to research and save the biodiversity and wildlife within these forests from extinction, especially species-specific microhabitats. So awesome article. You know, no, I'm reading it through. No real misinformation in it, which is great. And again, kind of points back to my original point when talking about tarantula hybridization. Why bother mixing, mixing tarantulas when we could better spend our energy trying to identify the ones that are already out there? And in this case, they specifically mention that there are issues with conservation and that they hope that discovering spiders like these, it brings a lot of publicity to otherwise issues that don't really get blown out in the news. So when you see something like this, when they talk about there's only 31.64% of the country's total land area is still forests, they're obviously trying to protect what's left of these forests and try to identify some of these animals before they're gone because it really, it stings when you think about, yes, they just found this one, but how many species possibly, especially ones that are that specific in their living conditions. If this spider, it, it does turn out that it requires these bamboo stalks to live in, that that's part of its microhabitat, that it doesn't do well without them, if it hasn't adapted to not live with the bamboo stalks, this could have very easily been something where they destroy this whole place, pave it over, and 
that's the end. It's the end of the spider. Nobody ever sees it. So it is cool that, you know, it's one of those ones. It's it's awesome in one hand because, yes, they found a new species, which, again, I hope doesn't work its way into a hobby quickly. But on the other hand, it's kind of sad because it makes you wonder how many species didn't get discovered, these ones that have. Because I'm sure there are, there are some other species out there that have these specific environmental requirements that when those areas are destroyed, whether it be a certain plant or bush, whatever it be, that we could have a situation where they die out before they're even discovered. So great article, very cool. Um, if you do research on it, there are other articles out there about it that give a little more information. I just thought this one was pretty well written and concise and to the point. And again, please leave them in the wild. Let's not go out there and grab them all. Hopefully this does lead to some advancements in the conservation efforts in Thailand. Hopefully this helps save some of these forests that still remain. And hopefully it leads to more discoveries and more creatures, not just tarantulas. Now, this next one is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most interesting that's come around in quite some time. It's one that I've known it was coming. It was going on down the pipe, and I've been waiting to hear information about it. So the other day, I popped open my phone, and I saw an article titled, Scientists Discover Tarantula Killing Worms, and I immediately knew what this was about, who was involved, and I was so excited to read the article. I also have a copy of the paper, and I'm hoping I shot an email out to the head scientist in this one, introducing myself, explaining I would love to either interview him with a text interview or on the podcast would be amazing because people would love to hear about it. Unfortunately, haven't heard anything back yet, but I'm pretending like he's just very busy and hasn't gotten to my email or maybe it's ended up in bulk. I don't know, but I really would love to get him on here because I think this would make for an amazing podcast. So we'll see how it goes. I am going to shoot some questions his way afterwards and see if maybe it ended up in, in the bulk, but we'll give it some time. But anyway... This one is really exciting because we all know that in the hobby, nematodes are the boogeyman. We've Anybody that comes forward with something they think they have nematodes, anybody that's ever experienced nematodes, it is frightening because one spider gets nematodes and next thing you know it, another spider has nematodes and there are stories out there of people losing huge chunks of their collection to these animals. Now, what usually happens in the case of nematodes is you get a spider that walks funny, it's on its tiptoes, there is this slimy, if you you put it under a microscope or get close to it, you can see there are little worms around its mouth and mouth parts. They will often lose the ability to grab things with their pedipalps. They'll hold the pedipalps up real close. They almost seem to be frozen or paralyzed. There's been talk about, you know, usually when this happens, they're fatal. And then the big issue is that people that notice it in one generally later on notice it in others. And there's been talk about whether or not it's carried by forward flies. That's been discussed quite a bit. The forward flies move from cage to cage and they bring these parasites with them. There's talk about whether or not they are just in the substrate. There's talk whether or not they come from wild caught specimens and it's a wild caught parasite that it somehow gets it, you know, survives and and grows on the spider and then transfers it all. It's just a scary, scary situation whenever somebody gets one of these. Whenever you're nematodes, when anybody emails me something and it involves nematodes, it's always like, oh dear, here we go. The good thing is a lot of times it's not nematodes, but when it is, it's a frightening, frightening proposition to any tarantula keeper. So the article is about these new tarantula killing worms and nematodes and the new parasite named after actor Jeff Daniels, which I thought was pretty cool. Scientists have named a newly discovered species of worm that kills tarantulas after American actor, musician, and producer Jeff Daniels, a distinction no other entertainer can claim. There are more than 25,000 described species of these worms called nematodes, and they are one of the most abundant animals on Earth. However, this is only the second time one has ever been found to infect tarantulas. They named it 
Tarandabellus, Jeff Danielsey, because Daniel's character in the 1990 film Arachnophobia saves a town from a deadly infestation of spiders. So I, I thought that was a pretty good idea. I mean, as far as I, I, I would have gone John Goodman, because he was the one, he was the over-the-top exterminator in the movie, which I actually, Billy obviously works in pest control. And the last time we watched this, I kept joking with her the whole time. Yep, this is what this is what exterminators are like. This is what you're like. But anyway, I thought it was a really cool name, really cool idea, and a really cool way to get something like this out into the public. Because as soon as you name it after a famous actor, somehow it breaks out and gets into mainstream media, which is something that probably wouldn't have happened under any other circumstance. So very cool name there. His character in the film is a spider killer, which is exactly what these nematodes are, said UC Riverside parasitologist Adler Dillman, who led the team that discovered the nematode. When I first heard a new species of nematode had been named after me, I thought, why? Is there a resemblance? Joke Daniels in remarks to UCR. Honestly, I was honored by their homage to me and arachnophobia. It made me smile. And of course, in Hollywood, you haven't really made it until you've been recognized by those in the field of parasitology. The team's work described Jeff Danielsey has recently been published in the Journal of Parasitology. In September 2019, a wholesale tarantula breeder contacted Dillman for help identifying a mysterious infection in some of their tarantulas. Specimens sent for inspection had an odd white mass around the mouth area. Dillman, who teaches the only parasitology class at UCR, recognized the white areas immediately as nematodes. Previously, scientists in Europe identified the first nematodes found on tarantulas. However, that research examined only the worms themselves, not the worms as found on the spiders. Once infected, tarantulas begin to exhibit strange behaviors like walking around on the tiptoe and not eating. The appendages that control the tarantula's fangs also stop working. It may take months because tarantulas don't have to eat particularly often. However, if they do get this infection, they will die of starvation, Dillman said. In addition to confirming that Jeff Danielsey infection is lethal, Dillman's team learned how the worms reproduce and where on the spiders they reside. Jeff Danielsey are mostly self-fertilizing hermaphrodites that produce their own sperm and eggs. On average, Dillman said a single hermaphrodite can produce 160 babies in its lifespan. In the laboratory, that lifespan is 11 days. It isn't clear how long they can live on a tarantula. The research team also found that the nematodes only inhabited the mouth area. None were in the stomach, nor did they appear to cause damage to the exterior of the tarantulas. So let's pause there for a second because that one is really interesting because a lot of folks believe that not only do they get around the mouth parts, but they actually get ingested and end up in the tarantula and that's what kills them. So this is a neat, uh, neat little fact here because now we're finding out that it is something to do with them getting around the mouth parts, causing issues there. Now, obviously, there's the mouth parts of a tarantula is an amazing filtration has an amazing filtration system. There was always wonder how they get into the animal. And some of the some folks thought that maybe during prey, when they're eating prey items, they're getting microscope, they're eating the prey items, they're ingesting them, and somehow they're getting in that way. So this is kind of interesting because it kind of narrows down how they actually killed the spiders. So that would be something I definitely want to hear more about in the future. What does having, does it just irritate the spider to the point where it doesn't eat? What is actually going on there that they're just on the surface, they're not harming the spider, they're not eating the spider? What is causing the spider to eventually stop eating and expire? And expire over a shorter period of time than normally a spider would if it just wasn't eating. So that, I definitely want to hear more about that. So continuing with the article, it isn't clear that the nematodes feed on the spider itself. It's possible that they feed on bacteria that live on the tarantulas, Dillman said. When the researchers grew the worms in the laboratory, they ate E. coli, making a stronger case that they are generally bacteria eaters again. 
I don't know. This is the type of stuff I geek out about because it's very interesting. And it's suddenly when you have something like this, that's a boogeyman in the hobby, the nematodes, and you start hearing the science behind it. For me, it makes it, it kind of does away with the supernatural element of it. It brings in the hard science, the facts, the stuff that we can observe and the stuff that we can quantify. So to hear that they're realizing now that these are things that feed on bacteria, not the tarantula itself, and it could be attracted to the bacteria around its mouth parts, just incredible, amazing stuff as far as I'm concerned concerned. One mystery that remains to be solved is how the nematodes are able to change the tarantula's behavior and paralyze their pedipalps, the organs that control their fangs. Dillman is planning additional studies to understand this, as well as how breeders can treat or even prevent Jeff Daniel C. infections. That is huge. I have heard whisperings that they've had some success in curing tarantulas that have this. Hopefully that information gets out there sooner than later because this would be a very, very, very big deal, especially if we could get that information. I mean, if it's something over the counter that we can do ourselves or our tarantulas to rid them of these infestations, that would be fantastic. If it's something that can be passed on to veterinarians so that veterinarian medicine can take a huge step forward in treating these animals and recognize these infestations and be able to treat them, that would be just as good, whatever it may be. Hopefully they continue with that and figure this one out and that we get more information on that. And now back to our article, though identifying a tarantula parasite is rare, Dillman believes this says more about the number of people that study tarantulas rather than the likely uniqueness of nematodes infecting them. Nematodes have been around for hundreds of millions of years. They've evolved to infect every kind of host on the planet, including humans, he said. Any animal you know of on planet Earth, there's a nematode that can infect it. So uh, it ends on a kind of an ominous note there, but I think this this was the article on about, now I shouldn't say it, it's probably tied with the new Thailand species. Anytime they find a new tarantula is amazing, but I think as far as something that has direct impact on the hobby itself, we're hoping the Thailand one doesn't have direct impact because again, we're not going to go out there and try to grab a bunch of these and smuggle them out of the country so that we can breed them in the pet trade. This one hits home because a lot of us live in fear of these. I had one situation years ago where I had two OBTs, two P. murinus, the red color forms that I picked up from the same dealer. Actually, I had two P. murinus and I had an H. villicella. The H. villicella died very early on. I thought it might have been an impaction. The two OBTs, I housed them. They, I saw one of them one night on the glass, and there was stuff around its mouth. I talked about this a long time ago. So it's something I wish... It was early in the hobby for me, so I didn't have the background knowledge I have now. This would have been something back then I would have been right on and taking pictures of and everything, but it had this stuff on its mouth. It wasn't eating right. I shook one of the things you do when you think they have nematodes because it tends to paralyze their pedipalps, a spider that is not infected with nematodes, a normal, healthy spider. If you kind of shake the enclosure a little bit, and I don't mean like earthquake, but just kind of give it a little wiggle, they usually flatten out and they put their pedipalps on the ground. With the nematodes, when you shake the enclosures, they don't put their pedipalps, they stay curled up. And I know for a fact, and this is something back, again, I didn't have the knowledge for this. I remember taking the enclosure down, giving it the little wiggle, and the its pedipalps did not go on the ground. So I was kind of convinced that the spider was indeed infected with nematodes. I took it. We put it in another room. Long story short, it didn't take long before it mysteriously died. And then I had both a male and female. The male went first and the female, same situation, went next. It was three animals from the same place. So this place is not around. This was years ago. This place is not around anymore. It actually closed up not long after that because I tried to contact them. Like, hey, have, any, have you seen this with any of your other ones? But anyway... 
I can remember the fear I felt because I started doing my homework and started researching, like, what is going on with my spider? Why is there stuff in the mouth? The first time I thought it might have been poo. Second time I tried to get a good look at it, it definitely looked very wet and kind of transparent. So I'm thinking in retrospect, if, if, if this were nowadays, I would have gotten the camera out, got some good pictures, zoomed in, tried to get it. But in retrospect, it was probably nematodes. It probably came infected with them. That's probably a good reason why this place disappeared quickly. But back then, I remember jumping online, reading about them, getting on a rack the boards, reading about people saying they lost their whole collection, reading about how they thought flies, forward flies brought them from one cage to another. At this point, I remember coming into my room one day and finding some little flies in my cricket bin. I freaked out, got rid of the crickets. It was just a nightmare. And I know other people that have gone through this as well, that you you get one, you see these signs, you're like, oh my God, it's going to kill my whole collection. So to know that there are folks out there that have just identified this. And there are, I have read the paper. I'm going to hopefully, maybe next time I can go through and break down some of the paper. I unfortunately planned on doing it today, but I left it at work, but I had highlighted some interesting things in it. But a lot of the things that were mentioned, one of which is they think they, it comes from the substrate, it can come from the dirt, and then it climbs up and they breed on the tarantula's legs. That's interesting stuff to know. Right there, you now know that if you have a tarantula and you've gotten some substrate that somehow has these nematodes in it and it gets infected, you can change at least the substrate and then it's a matter of trying to treat the tarantula to get the ones that are on it off or dead before they actually infect the tarantula and kill it. So just a lot of compelling information. And for those of us that live in fear of the, you know, nematodes, something that in the future is going to be a huge help, especially if they're still researching and they can figure out how to treat this. This is a huge breakthrough as far as tarantulas are concerned. One less thing we have to worry about. And I would say as far as tarantula ailments are concerned, that one's right up there in the tip top of things that we live in fear of. So Awesome article, awesome paper. I'm going to reach out. I have, I'm gonna, I might reach out to a couple people that may be able to get me an interview with Dr. Dillman or Mr. Dillman because I would absolutely love to talk more about even just nematodes in general. Are the beneficial ones out there? What if, just to hear more details about this paper and what they're working on would be, I think, fantastic. Just for my own, even if I could just talk to him, if he said I couldn't do a podcast, I would be okay with that because I just love to hear more about this because this stuff fascinates me and it just could have such an incredible impact on the hobby. So I will obviously keep folks updated if we can land something with them. I mean, I'd be willing to do just a text interview. I've done that before with people that don't feel comfortable. I, I don't blame them getting on a microphone with somebody they've never met before. They're not, that's not their cup of tea. Sometimes just giving them some questions that they can respond to in text. That would be great. I could put it on the website. I could go through the whole article and read it, whatever it may be. Hopefully I can get a hold of them and, and get them on because that, that would be fantastic interview and some great information. So that concludes our tarantula nightly news. Now, <laughs> I've been, it, it just it's fun to do this. I'm glad I finally got to do this because I do see a lot of these articles pop up and it's just it was nice that serendipitously I was able to find three articles that were quite good about tarantulas that I could cover in one podcast. I mean, I just, obviously, if you love these animals, you love hearing that they've received some type of national, or in this case, international attention, even if it's because of the worms that can infest and kill them. So being able to do this was kind of fun. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the future. And then as, you know, honestly, if anybody finds articles that they find interesting, current articles, not the, I still, still upset about that day. I had this whole thing. I'm looking, I'm literally... Right here, paging through the notes, two pages of notes on this, and then realize they're old articles. But if you find current articles that you think I might be interested in, please send them my way because I, in the very least, I enjoy reading them. 
And in the best case scenario, it's something we could put together one of these again because I think it's a lot of fun. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. I am going to be taking a short break from YouTube. I'm going to try to do some. I've got the new theme song coming out pretty soon. And I'm thinking this is a good time to kind of break down what I do on the YouTube channel. And there are some things I've changes I've wanted to make for a while, but they're going to involve me they're going to involve some work on the front end before I'm ready to do it. And so I'm going to do that. And plus it's my busy time of year. This is usually, it's funny because I went back through my YouTube videos and I was finding that around this time, several times over the years, I've taken a little break because just things heat up at work. I have a lot going on and it's sometimes you just want to go home and relax and not feel like you have to sit in front of a video away from my family. Cause I do it up in my tarantula room and edit for hours on end. So I'll be taking a short break, coming back stronger than ever with some, you know, some, I think, really cool changes that will help make the information. It's always about trying to make the information more accessible and more easily accessible and try to make the videos more engaging. So I've got some ideas I want to try out. We'll see how it works. And I'm very excited to debut that new theme music that I have the rough cut of it on in my Facebook message, messengers that I pull up quite a bit and listen to it and be like, this is going to be great when I'm able to edit out that new intro. So that'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe and we'll catch you all next time.